You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York. I'm losing my voice. And around the country, <laughs> this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, and my co-host, the great and powerful Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Hurricane season is here as we are worried and hopefully the lights and generators do not have to go on and go off where we might be losing everything. But uh, we are here. We're here live Saturday night to always honor and really give you the greatness of what this show gives you. And that's the craziness in sports media and sports education. So here we are. Speedy, what's going on? I'm good, man. I have some family out here. This is my youngest brother's last weekend uh, before he goes away to school. He's also going to Northeastern. So all three brothers are out here today. Uh, unfortunately, because of the storm, they're going to have to leave a little earlier than they wanted to. But looking forward to having a good weekend. Looking forward to a great show. Yes, absolutely. And when I say sports education, we give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that gives you sports education. I'm just kidding. We're here to, to really give you New York sports for the next two hours, so we're very happy to be here. I hope everybody enjoys the show. Yeah, sports education sounds like a class. <laughs> it is a class. Uh, we're, we're teaching people. Yes, we are. That a little true. bit, and we argue and banter about sports on this show. So, yes, if you want to call it sports education, we might as well call it sports bantering because that's what we do. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. We're going to get into the NFL as the New York Jets lose their top pass rusher for the season, uh, ruptured Achilles tendon. Carl Lawson is out for the season. So how does this hurt the New York Jets and what the Jets need to do or who they need to bring in to fill in that slot? We will talk also about the Jets this weekend as they've been practicing with the Green Bay Packers. Zach Wilson working with Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people comparing Zach Wilson's skills to Aaron Rodgers, we're going to get into that and why I think Zach Wilson has a very good chance of being the next Aaron Rodgers-esque type of player, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, also, the New York Giants, I believe they looked pretty good against the New York Jets in their first preseason game with none of their real starters playing. Kenny Galladay probably won't play at all this year. The Giants giving an overpaid contract, and a guy can never stay healthy. He wasn't in a lineup. Saquon Barkley was in a lineup. Daniel Jones wasn't in a lineup. A lot of the top defensive players on the Giants were not in the lineup. By the way, half the Giants are Pokemon fans, I find out in the <laughs> event. And I'm working on getting Blake Martinez on the show, so... That'll be very interesting moving forward. I wonder but, if Jason Garrett's a Pokemon fan with his clapping. He could throw the Pokeballs around pretty easily. I don't know what a Pokeball is. <laughs> I don't know what a Pikachu is, what I heard yesterday. I have no idea. I have heard that those Pokemon cards, there are cards that are worth $50,000. I mean, it's ridiculous. Who would buy a Pokemon card for $50,000? Well, these Pokemon crazed people love it. But we're not here. Blake Martinez probably does. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I heard he buys like $70,000 boxes. So it's it's ridiculous. But he, has, he has enough money to do that now with the contract the Giants gave him. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to talk a lot 
about baseball. The New York Yankees are the hottest team in baseball and why the Yankees could win the division, the American League East. Who would have thought uh, starting the season as bad as they did after the trades where everybody said, kick Brian Cashman out. It's all over his head. He's done. He's not going to be a GM for this team anymore. We need to move on and bring in a young GM. Well, boy, were they wrong. After making a move for Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo, this this offense is a completely different offense and definitely a threat in the American League. We're going to get into that. The New York Mets, Jacob DeGrand could be out for this season. Lindor and Baez might be back as good as next week. Does that help them squeak into the playoffs? We will see. We'll talk about their woes and what they need to do to get back into the race. We will also get into the NBA. The Knicks introducing Kemba Walker. That's right. Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. The French ambassador. That's what I call him. All right. There you go. Evan, the French bastard. Ambastard. Ambastard. <laughs> That's pretty good. The French ambassador. <laughs> All right. If he struggles, maybe we could use that nickname. Oh, man. That's pretty funny, actually. French ambassador. <laughs> they were introduced this week. We'll play a couple of clips of that particular press conference and what they said at the press conference and how they would fit with this team moving forward with Tom Thibodeau's offense and defense. And we will get into the NHL as well and obviously debate wars and obviously crunch time. Anyways, first things first, the NFL. And in the beginning of the week was a bad week for the New York Jets. Everybody's been talking about Carl Lawson being the importance of free agency for the New York Jets. They needed a pass rusher. They needed a guy that can get at the quarterback on the defensive end position on either the right or left side. Adding Carl Lawson, a 26-year-old kid who looked really good in his first three years with the Bengals, up for a contract. The Bengals decide to let him go, and I believe was the more underrated pass rusher that was available this offseason. And the Jets made a move. They paid him 40-something million dollars. They brought him to the team, a very good team-friendly contract. Carl Lawson was training hard. Everybody, Robert Sala, you heard from the different coaches, defensive coaches, stating that the best player on the field for the last past couple of weeks has been Carl Lawson. He's a beast. He can get at the quarterback. He's mean. He's tough. He's a leader. And then Carl Lawson was practicing with the Green Bay Packers, and he fell to his knees, And he couldn't get up. And he was crying and he was in so much pain. He was picked up and and brought to the hospital and dragged off the field on stretcher. And what happens? He gets an MRI. Adam Scheffner was the first person to report this, that it was a ruptured Achilles tendon, which means he's out for the season, could be out for at least 10 to 11 months. I like what Carl Lawson says. This isn't going to end my career. This isn't going to end me. This is going to push me even further. I mean, he's 26 years old. If anybody could do it, it's a 26-year-old beast of a man that loves the gym and loves to push himself to the brick. But losing Carl Lawson for the season really sets the Jets back. A 4-3 defense, you need that edge rusher. You absolutely need that. Uh, You're not going to have Vinnie Curry in the first game of the season against the Carolina Panthers. He's out for the first game. So he won't be back until game two, I think, it's against New England. So uh, you, who are you going to start on the edges? Now, we all know who's going to be in the middle. Uh, we, we talk about rankings. We talk about Williams. Uh, but Williams is coming back from an injury, a foot injury. He's probably not going to play for any of the preseason games, maybe one, get himself on the field. So it's going to take him a couple of weeks to figure out the Robert solid defense. So you think about it. The, the Jets are starting off really – with a challenge. Not a challenge. You're a handicap. 
going against the Carolina Panthers and their former quarterback, Sam Darnold, in week number one, the Jets are going to be handicapped at the defensive end position. That's why I say a challenge, because now Robert Sala is going to have to do a lot of different things with his defense now. They have the interior guys already. They have the middle of the field pretty much covered, assuming Marcus May gets signed or placed amidst the contract negotiations. He's playing. Yeah, I haven't heard anything that says otherwise, so I think he'll be fine. Mosley looked good in his first preseason game against the New York Giants. Looked really good. snaps he played. So the middle is fine. It's just the edges. Can they get enough with the edges? Whether it is Vinnie Curry, whether it is some of the youngsters that they have. And again, Robert Sala is going to have to maybe do some creative things blitzing he was always known to blitz slot corners in San Francisco, so I think they're going to utilize a lot of that now with either LaMarcus Joyner, maybe Ashton Davis. They have different guys they can move around. Some of the guys they drafted this year, maybe they could platoon in those roles, and that's what they have to do now to get some kind of edge pressure. So that's why I say challenge in the sense where Robert Sal is going to have to evolve his defense and make it even more creative as he did with the Niners last year when all those injuries happened. Do the Jets go to free agency? Do they bring in an Emerson Griffin, who everybody's been talking about, bring in a player of that magnitude? He played for the Cowboys, barely played last year. He was really a fill-in player. They moved him to the outside linebacker position at what some points of the season last year that didn't fit what we've seen Emerson Griffin was with the Minnesota Vikings. You look at the big picture with the Jets, they're going to have to really nitpick or really find an edge rusher on this team. I don't know if they have one, but if anybody could do it, it's Robert Sala in that defense. I'm very thrown off because, first of all, there's no depth on this team when it comes to pass rushes. They drafted Zuniga last year in the draft where I think a guy like Douglas, he really liked him. In last year and in the second half of the season, even with Adam Gase, we saw glimpses of what this kid could be. And he's had a very good preseason training camp. So Zuniga could actually win the job. But all in all... I just don't know where they're going to go. I think the Jets have no depth over there. And I think this is going to start going into the season. Every team has their problems. This was supposed to be a strength for the Jets, adding Carl Lawson and Curry. Now this is a complete weakness. And I don't know where the Jets are going to go to find a pass rusher that can actually give them, let's say, seven or eight sacks that can help out a Quinn Williams or a Rankins because you know the Jets are going to dominate in the middle. I was advocating in free agency that they should go after one younger pass rusher, which they did in Lawson, and then a veteran pass rusher and make the money work that way. And Griffin is still available with that. There's also Jabal Sheard, Bruce Irvin's available. There's a couple of veteran-type passers. So Ziggy Ansah, who, not a great run stopper, but they don't really need a run stopper. They need a speed rusher. So maybe somebody like that, and maybe they need two at this point just to fill in depth. The Jets have the money to do that. And now... Is it worth it? Is yeah. Joe Douglas willing to do something uh-huh. like that? Now, maybe a right. one-year deal would fit what Joe Douglas yeah. needs until next year because Carl Lawson will be back sometime next year. I don't think he's going to start the season next year either. Right. And you also have to see, too, if those other guys play well, too. So maybe they sign one veteran pass rusher and maybe Zuniga starts on the left side or something like that. Let's say it's Griffin. Griffin starts on the right side. And let's say Zuniga starts on the left side and he plays well. Then maybe you don't have to sign a second one. But if Zuniga struggles or maybe they take somebody else out and he struggles, then maybe you have to get these guys. Because there are also going to be other guys that get hurt across the league, too, where... Ziggy Ansah or Bruce Irvin could get signed by other teams too, and then all of a sudden you're going to lose out on it. So I would probably just try to stick to sign one and maybe trust with what you have because of Salah's defense. So going into the season, the Jets are handicapped, and they're going to have to figure this out. Now, Robert Sala is a defensive-minded coach, so if anybody's going to figure this out, we saw him do it with San Francisco last year, it's Robert Sala. He will figure this out. It scares me knowing that you have 17 games this season and you have – 
no pass rushers on the outside, and Vinny Curry is going to miss the first game. And Vinny Curry's an old man. He was really a fill-in. Now, yeah. is he an underrated pass rusher? Absolutely. Vinny Curry is a very good pass rusher. He played all those years with the Eagles. He was a big part of why the Eagles won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. He was a big part of that defense. But he's 32, 33 years old. He is not 26-year-old Carl Lawson, where you expect him to be very important on the edges for the New York Jets. I just don't think the Jets are going to be able to find that in free agency. And that Hopefully, they have one guy or two guys on that roster that can help out in that position. But what we saw with Zach Wilson in the game number one was quality passing, third down passing. And I thought Zach Wilson, even though he only played like, I would say, three drives, he looked really, really good. Uh, Six for nine, 61 yards, three third downs. One of them was a third and six. He looked really good. Third and 14, I think, was one of them, too. Mm -hmm. So he looked really good on third downs. And that's what you want to see with a rookie quarterback. So he was very impressive with his accuracy. He was the most accurate quarterback in game number one. I know he played the Giants, and there was a couple of starters on the Giants defense that wasn't playing. The Giants' corner depth is good, though. It's not like you're facing scrub corners completely, either. No, the Giants have a very good three or four good corner tandems. And they brought a couple of corners in the offseason as well. They just traded one, too. (laughs) And Yadam, who I liked Last year, but the, now with all the depth they have, especially now uh, signing a Dory Jackson, they might not, not needed him anymore. Yeah, and I think when you look at the Giants, the Giants didn't start any of their big starters. Daniel Jones didn't play. Saquon Barkley didn't play. Kenny Galladay, who can't stay healthy, didn't play. And a bunch of their top-end defensive players, too, didn't even play. So even though the Jets did start a lot of their starters, the Giants looked really, really good. I can't take shots at the Giants because it's game number one, preseason game number one. We didn't see their young starting quarterback. I expect Daniel Jones to take three steps forward this year. They're going to need it if the Giants have any chance to win that division this year. Now, I think the Giants have a very good chance. That division is weak with Fitzpatrick there, even though I think with Washington, he fits what Washington is looking for, a guy that can throw a lot of slant passes. He's an accurate quarterback, not a very strong arm, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, everywhere he's gone in his first year, he's played very well. With the Jets, with Tennessee, everywhere he's gone, with the five, six, seven, eight teams he's played for, even with the Buffalo Bills, everywhere he's gone, he's gotten big contracts after his first or second year, and then he lays up a dud, and then teams completely give up on him. Or he'll fall apart in the second half of the season. So I expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to have a good year. And with the Eagles, if they don't go after Deshaun Watson, the Eagles are in a lot of trouble. Because after watching Thursday night's game against the Patriots and losing 35-0, that has to scare you that even with Flacco there and Hurts there, who, by the way, the Eagles love, that's why they got rid of Carson Wentz, there's a lot of deficiencies at that position, Speedy. Yeah, the Eagles now are in a position where they kind of have to take that kind of chance. They have the extra draft picks that they got from Miami when the Eagles traded back to 12 and then eventually traded back up to 10 to get Devontae Smith. And they're now needing somebody that could throw the ball because the Eagles have a lot of receivers. They have tight ends. They just don't have a lot of the other core positions in place with that offense. Going back to the Giants, though, the one area that concerns me with the Giants, though, is they did have some offensive line starters that played, and they didn't play as well as they should have in that. And that's a little concerning. When you look at the right tackle position, a big question mark. The inside, a big question mark. And They should have never lost Zietler in the offseason. Yeah, a lot of of those other replacement guys did not play well in that game, and that's a little concerning. Now, the Jets, again, they have some interior guys that were good, but Again, the Jets didn't play their starters the whole time either, and they were still getting some kind of pressure. I think it was Bryce Huff, I remember.
remember correctly, that got two sacks in that game for the Jets on that right side against the Giants starting right tackles, and none of them really could do well. You're right. I think the rest of the skill players played well. The receivers were fine. The defensive depth was fine. But I'm a little worried with the offensive line for sure. Absolutely. And with the Giants losing some key offensive linemen in the offseason, I was just saying Zietler, uh, a big leader, a guy that is a Pro Bowl caliber guard, and he could play center. He could play multiple positions. Losing a player of that significance definitely sets them back. But again, the Giants are a good team. I think they're built to win this year. I really do believe that. Their schedule fits them, especially in the division. You got to play the Eagles twice. You got to play the Cowboys twice. That division is horrible. So the Giants could absolutely win four to five of those games. They can win 10 or 11 games this year. Absolutely. The way the schedule is manageable for them. Yeah, it's definitely manageable. The NFC South isn't as good as it used to be. No, the NFC is weak. It's just the West that's good. And the AFC West, they have some teams that could be good, but it's a lot of question marks. The Chiefs are obviously very good. The Chargers and Broncos are kind of maybe on that wild card cusp right now. The Raiders, like the Chargers. Yeah, I know you do. The Raiders are kind of in between, too. There are a bunch of teams right on the cusp, but no like obvious standouts outside of the Chiefs. Yep, and, and remember, the Super Bowl is in L.A., this year. We are going to be doing our show at Radio Row. I'm very excited about it. We do have NFL credentials this year, so there is no nose to us, even though I've been there already. Speedy's going to have the opportunity to experience doing the show at a live event over there uh, for the NFL, so it's going to be really, really fun, but what did you think about the quarterback play, the young quarterback play in the first week of preseason? Generally impressive. I think these coaches did the right thing in terms of letting them actually sling the ball, making them make tough throws, rather than just trying to be conservative, just trying to see if they have a little accuracy. And that's why the quote-unquote completion percentage stats weren't as good, but they made tough throws. Trey Lance had an 80-yard touchdown. Justin Fields had a bunch of brilliant throws in that game. And Trevor Lawrence had a couple as well. Now, there were some downsides. I think Trey Lance had some woes in his first game. He didn't look good. Trevor Lawrence had some rough patches, but Justin Fields, I think, was very good. Mac Jones has been very good so far for the Patriots, and Zach Wilson was definitely very good for the Jets. All the quarterbacks that you said were very, very good. I think Justin Fields was very impressive. Now, There were a lot of guys open, and a lot of people were saying anybody can make those passes. But Justin Fields, when he needed to make those throws, he made them accurately, and he moved inside and out of the pocket. That's what you want to see with a quarterback that has the foot speed and the whereabouts to figure out how to move inside and out of the pocket, and he makes all those throws, too. As far as Zach Wilson is concerned, I expected Zach Wilson to show his arm strength. He did in certain aspects of the game, even though he barely threw the ball, 6 for 9. But he made a 3rd and 14, I think it was, or a 3rd and 12. I think he made a third and 12, and he also made a third and 17 or something like that, that they got one yard short of the first down, then they went for it on fourth down. He was very impressive, too. Trey Lance was not impressive. I think his completion percentage was under 50%. You can't win like that in the NFL. Lawrence was good, but if the Jacksonville Jaguars don't figure out somehow how to fix that offensive line, he's going to get killed this year. I feel bad for that kid because everybody that was talking about how this guy is the next generation of quarterback, we've seen this and we've heard this many, many times. Andrew Luck being one of them. And at the age of 28, almost 29 years old, he retires after the Indianapolis Colts figures it out and brings in Quentin Nelson and that offensive line to protect him. Mm -hmm. They had one good year, and then he decided after he got a big contract two years before that, one of the biggest contracts we've ever seen a quarterback get, he says, you know what? I'm ending my career. I'm done. I made enough money. I'm retiring. I want to spend it with my family. I don't want to be brain dead. So it's interesting that players are now retiring at a young age. Patrick Willis retired at the age of 30. These guys are all... All 
retiring all these top end players because they're afraid of CTE and the injuries. They'd rather keep their money that they made and be able to walk and play sports with their kids, their sons, their daughters, than not be able to walk 20 years from now because of the injuries they retained playing sports. So it's very interesting. So, so far, preseason has been very interesting as we are watching preseason games throughout the next couple of weeks. And then the NFL starts September 8th. Buccaneers and Cowboys. Uh, that'll probably be a Super Bowl champion. <laughs> that'll probably be a blowout knowing the Cowboys defense. <laughs> well, we'll see. If the Cowboys can get that offense moving the way I believe it could be, I think they can cause a lot of problems against certain defenses. So I don't know defensively how the Cowboys are going to be this year, but offensively they have some really good players. I'm just saying good luck with that secondary going up against all the weapons Tampa has. <laughs> Look at the weapons that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have to go against. I mean, CeeDee Lamb looks like a beast. I haven't had an opportunity to watch Hard Knocks yet, but everybody that's told me he looks really good. Gallup is a guy that is going to be a free agent next year. He's going to want a lot of money, so you expect him to have a very good season like he did last year, and obviously Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott. Hopefully he finds his way. He hasn't found his way in two years playing football. So. If Gallup wants a lot of money, he's going to have to get it elsewhere because yeah. the Cowboys can't afford it right now. Well, there you go. I don't, I don't think the Cowboys are going to be able to resign. No, I don't but, think so. But it's going to be very, very interesting moving forward with the NFL. When we come back, guess what we're going to get into? Some baseball. The New York Yankees. Yes, they are the number one wild card team coming back from eight games down in the beginning of the season when the Red Sox were up nine and a half games at one point. Tampa was up 10 games at one point. The Yankees are five games behind Tampa right now, and they're right on the cusp of showing people why they call them the Bronx Bombers. With Rizzo, with Gallo, this team is as good as we've seen it in a very, very long time, especially the lineup. We'll see where the pitching goes. And the New York Mets, their woes are just getting worse, as Jacob DeGrom could be out for the season. When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Sarah Marks, my co-host, and board up. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York 14 Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Hurricane Henry? I think this is Hurricane Henry. Yeah, Henry with an I, I think it is. I mean, these names. Henry, Bogart. What's next? We're going to call it Italy? Jameson? You know, uh, Captain Morgan? <laughs> I mean, like, uh, it's crazy. Ro- rotate, rotate around all brands of liquor. Uh, there now. you go. I know you would like that. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, it's crazy over here. A lot of people are worried that we're going to be Losing lights. Lights, camera, action. It's sorry, Miss Jackson. Anyways, getting into baseball. The New York Yankees, I don't know what's crawling up there, you know what. But whatever it is, all the Yankee fans that were taking shots at Brian Cashman, get rid of Brian, get rid of Aaron Boone. Right now, Aaron Boone has been the best manager in the last month and a half. Everything that he's done has worked. And Brian Cashman, ever since that Gallo and Rizzo trade, this team is a completely different team. Adding left-handed power in the lineup, which everybody has been saying the Yankees have needed for a very long time. They finally do it at the trade deadline. Uh, They have control of Gallo for one more year. Rizzo, they're probably going to resign at the age of 32-33. Lights out defensive player and can hit for power and do all the things that the Yankees haven't had since Mark Teixeira. There's really nothing to say bad about the Yankees right now, except they had some woes 
issues with the bullpen. Zach Britton came out about a week ago telling Aaron Boone he's not good enough anymore to be the closer. But I, I don't think Chapman is either. He looks bad too. But they got a short shelf life. They're like running backs. Like closers last five years, then they steam out. It's bad. Uh, I mean, the Yankees bullpen is not as dominant as we've seen it over the last 25, 30 years. And the starting pitching, which has shown up. Some of the young pitchers mm-hmm. has played well, come up from AAA. What's the kid's name that hasn't given up a run in four games? He's pitched well. Savarino might be out for the season. Injuries with his shoulder again. And the Yankees gave him a $40 million contract, four-year $40 million contract uh, about two years ago. So we might not see Savarino until his contract's up. So I don't know what the Yankees are doing with him. Starting pitchers, Cole looks better since the All-Star break. Cooper's still not back, right? I think No, I think he's on a rehab start. So he'll probably week. be back in a week or two. So By the way, is the pitcher you were thinking of Luis Gill? I think it young was. Pitcher? Yeah. yeah, he's played four games. He hasn't given up a run. No earned yeah, runs. Yeah, puts up more zeros and makes history. This New York Pro article says. So it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. He's a young player, too. I think he's 25 years old. If I'm not mistaken. 23. 23 years old. He came out of nowhere for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And Montgomery's pitched very well for the Yankees yep. as well. I think 3770 or something. Yeah, like that, yeah, Montgomery is a guy that came from Tommy John surgery. Played very well in the playoffs last year. I think he was the most impressive playoff pitcher for the Yankees last year. The Yankees have some good young pitchers that have, have showed up and showed why the Yankees are the Yankees. But the Yankees are moving in the right direction. And right now, they surpassed the Red Sox, sweeping the Red Sox this week. And right now, they look like they're going to probably sweep the Twins. Uh, that's not saying much. Yeah, but the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball. They've won eight games in a row. They've been fantastic, Speedy. Absolutely fantastic. The hottest team in baseball since my birthday, July 26th. They are 18-5 and in those games. About to be 19-5 and with the way they're playing against the Twins. And they're getting it from a combination of, obviously, their core, but also some unlikely sources. You mentioned Gill. You mentioned a lot of these young pitchers. Tyona started to pitch well, too. Montgomery and they're overcoming the bullpen even with the main pieces struggling and I actually like what Zach Britton said like that's actually kind of the leadership aspect of it and that's very selfless on a player for him guys don't want to get booted out of the closer spot but Zach Britton veteran guy standing up to he knows what's best for the team if he doesn't feel like he can close right now that's very selfless on his part showing very good leadership absolutely and, and the Yankees right now they can't do anything wrong they have played as good a baseball as any team could play right now and if the Yankees keep it up who knows they catch Tampa and they win the division who would have thought starting the season 10 games out of first place move all the way up by the end of the season and win the division and have the best record in the American League this could be a fantastic comeback for the Yankees and if they win the World Series this could be one of the greatest Yankee comebacks we've ever seen so all the Yankee fans that took shots at Brian Cashman Zipper your lips. Look who he traded to get Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo's been a big part of the Yankees' offense since the All-Star break, since the trade deadline. And then Rizzo, since he came back from COVID, another guy. And maybe he's lit a switch up in Voight's ass Mm -hmm. because Voight's actually hitting the ball now. Mm -hmm. So this whole team is working on all cylinders. They still don't have Gio Oshella. They still don't have some of their important keys to this offense. So the Yankees are in a very good position where uh, the Yankees could pull away from the opposition's. I think the Yankees are going to be very, very dangerous in the next two months and could win the division. Absolutely. Tampa, say whatever you want. They haven't played well since the All-Star break either. And they added Nelson. They added some pieces at the trade deadline, but not like the Yankees. I think the Yankees made the biggest moves when they needed to, and Brian Cashman deserves a lot of credit. Anybody that ever says anything about Brian Cashman, zipper your lip. (laughs) And as far as the Mets are concerned, hearing some of the stories, MRI after MRI for Jacob DeGrom, nothing is found, but it seems like the story's coming out right now in the press that 
99% chance that Jacob DeGrom is going to tie his glove up and his cleats up this year. His season might be over. Yeah, elbow inflammation. Which it hurts the Mets because the Mets are still right there for a wild card spot. And they're slowly but surely falling out. They were the number one team all season long since the All-Star break in first place in the National League East. They fell out of it. Atlanta took over. Philadelphia's played well. You're seeing the grittiness in that division, which we thought was going to be a very good division this year. Atlanta lost two very important pitchers early in the season. Everybody thought it was done with them, but they've got tremendous offensive players on that team. Absolutely. And as far as I'm concerned, Philadelphia, Joe Girardi, I root him on all the time. He old Yankee manager and skipper. I love his personality, his grittiness. That Philadelphia team has some grittiness. And Zach Wheeler, yes, Zach Wheeler could win the Cy Young in the National League. It's quite competition that Wheeler has with Corbin Burns and Walker Bueller, but he he probably will end up being a finalist the way he's pitched for the Phillies, but his value has definitely been worth it. They lost a couple games to the Diamondbacks, so they're starting to slip a little, but they're still ahead of the Mets right now. Sure, the Mets want to take that contract back. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Zach Wheeler is still not going to help the Mets' offense, which is their biggest problem. Outside of He'd be their number one guy. Sure, but I'm just saying. He's single-handedly probably getting them into the playoffs. Maybe, but still, regardless, the Mets' biggest problem is the offense right now. And outside of Pete Alonso, they have nobody hitting right now. Guys that are trying to pull the ball too much, they're striking out a ton, they're leaving the bases loaded whenever they do get the bases loaded. And a lot of these guys that we thought, all right, these guys, these misfit guys, these bench players are now... I like that name, misfits. Yeah, but that's misfits. what it was in the beginning of the scene. They had all these scrap heap guys the that were playing well misfits. for them. Right. And then all of a sudden, all right, we just got to get McNeil back. We just got to get Conforto back. And none of them are hitting and that, since they came back. McCann. They all are trying to pull the ball too much and they're all striking out a lot. Look on the bright side. You got Lindor coming back next week. You have Baez coming back next week. Maybe the Mets could scrap up 10, 15 wins and get back into this race and win that division. But without Jacob DeGrom, the Mets don't have a chance to win a World Series. One could hope that as a spark, but again, the Mets offense still statistically has not been good, even with those guys in the lineup. When Baez first got there, the first three or four games or so, it was good, but then after that, it started to tail off, and even with Lindor struggling much this season, there were certain guys that played well around him, and then when Lindor played well, nobody else did, so it just hasn't been consistent whatsoever with the Mets offense, and with Jacob deGrom now being out, they're having to rely on a lot of other pitchers to get it to work. Carrasco has not pitched well so far since he's come back from his injury. Their young pitchers have not pitched well. Their bullpen pen outside of Aaron Lupin and Edwin Diaz has really started to struggle and there's just really nothing that you could trust with this team anymore at the moment. You're a Met fan, so you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of deficiencies. Their uh, bullpen, which was very, very strong in the beginning of the season, one of the best bullpens in the National League, has fallen off. Right. Sandy Alderson, who thought he made aggressive moves in the beginning of the season, in the offseason, and then at the trade deadline where everybody thought the Mets were going to be buyers, 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 including Josh Silverberg, who thought they were going to be the big buyers. No, it was the Yankees, the buyers, and the Mets, the sellers, or Whatever they were, not the buyers. The, the Mets were the, we got Baez because we needed one big move. But again, I think between Sandy Brian would have fit better with them. Sandy Alderson being the more of the. Did you hear that Brian didn't want to be a Met and that's why the Mets didn't make a trade for him? Well, yeah. You hear about that? Yeah, and then Brian hit two home runs as a member of the Giants Mm -hmm. last last week against the Mets. So Mm -hmm. not really helping their cause. He's hit five home runs since he's been a Giant. Wouldn't surprise me. But again, that wasn't really the only reason they lost those games, but still, not really ideal circumstances to have to run into. Brian killed the Mets in his career anyway with the Cubs. I think he had like a 383 career batting average against the Mets. San Francisco, (laughs) since Brian has been there, has had a winning record. Rizzo, since he went to the Yankees, the Yankees have been the hottest team in baseball, and obviously Baez, he goes to the and Mets. And then he goes to the and, Mets and, and the Mets hurt. are losing. It seems like everybody that goes to the Mets just give them 
Nothing. Nothing. Everybody that goes to the Mets, four. even if you weren't injury prone in the past, you probably have a good chance of getting hurt. I really was rooting for the Mets this year. I want to see the Mets make the playoffs, but losing Jacob DeGrom for the season is an absolute killer. He was up to win an MVP, a Cy Young. His numbers were absolutely dominant right. all season long, and then he gets hurt. That's a problem with Jacob DeGrom. And I'll say this, and I'm not trying to take shots at Jacob DeGrom because I like the kid. I think he's a great player. He's one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. Jacob DeGrom is a peewee. I just don't think he has the guts to push. Even playing hurt. We've seen pitchers. We've seen Garrett Cole play hurt with a bad finger early in the season. We saw him with the spider tack. The spider tack and how bad he was playing. He didn't give up and he started playing hard and he he made it to the All-Star game. And then he came back from the All-Star game and started playing good baseball. There was no excuses. You got to be gritty. And I don't think Jacob DeGrom is the gritty player that we thought he was. He's a talented player. No question. The best pitcher in baseball. It bothers me. Just like Clayton Kershaw. All those years. He's a great pitcher. But once he gets hurt, he's out for a significant amount of time. You're talking about months. Jacob DeGrom hasn't pitched in a month and a half. You don't have your number one guy pitching. It's a big loss. And I'm telling you right now, he doesn't play for the rest of the season. The Mets have no chance of even even if they squeak into the playoffs, winning a wild card game and going further. I don't even trust them to to win a playoff series, even if they do get in, even with DeGrom, with the way this offense is going. But that will be figured out when Baez and Lindor comes back. One can hope, but I believe that offense is so bad. The team offense was still bad. Those two guys are too good, even though Lindor's had a bad season. I think Lindor, he's a spark. Ever since Lindor's gotten hurt, go look at their batting average since Lindor's been <laughs> I know. Their offense fell from 24th to 29th. Seven spots is huge. I hope you're right, but I still have no confidence with the rest of this lineup depth. Now, going back to the injury thing. Now, the difference, I think, between Kershaw and DeGrom is Kershaw was always injury-prone as it was, whereas DeGrom, he had the Tommy John surgery in the minors when he was a shortstop, but once he's come up to the Mets, he's only really missed a few starts in his career. And now maybe the management of the injury definitely was difficult for him for the front office because I think the front office was wanting him to do different things. Luis Rojas wanted him to pitch and he said, no, I want to stay out a little longer and then he wanted to stay out for the All-Star break and then the All-Star game. So I think there's a lot, just a lot of question marks and you wonder if those identities ended up clashing and also the same kind of thing, them being so far ahead the All-Star break, you wonder if they were just waiting for it for a little while when it was a little safer right. and now all of a sudden, since now they've fallen out of first place, now they fell below 500, now all of a sudden it's a bigger concern, him not coming back and now adding the elbow, elbow inflammation Again, we'll never know who's technically right in this situation. He might have pitched rushed back and then gotten hurt and gotten hurt even worse. Or, again, it might have came from rehabbing too much or something like that. We'll never know for sure. But I think this is only now concerning with all the other injuries the Mets have on top of that. And now the fact that they've fallen below 500. Anybody that's a Met fan right now is not very excited, not very happy. Everybody was blowing up Sandy Alderson and Uncle Stevie. Uncle Stevie took shots at the offense on social media. Now ownership is is starting to attack what this offense is. You spend all that money in the offseason for Lindor, and then you make that trade for Baez, which you're going to overpay in the offseason. You're going to have to pay him $170, $180 million. You're talking about two players that are going to probably make $500 million in the next 10 years. I don't care how rich Uncle Stevie is. If they're not producing, it doesn't matter. Any fans out there that can sit there and tell me that you're excited or happy what you see with the Mets, it has to worry. When we come back, we will get into some basketball conversation. Ben Simmons. Yes, Uncle Benny. I'm not going to call him Uncle Benny, but how about have to learn how to shoot Benny? We've been talking about him getting traded. Golden State has made some offers. The Spurs have made some offers. Toronto has made some offers. Sacramento has made some offers. And guess where he's still playing? The 76ers. And guess who has been speaking out? Actually, the news conference, Kemba Walker and some of the new 
New York Knicks for this franchise spoke out press conference week after the Olympics. Fournier. The French ambassador. Yes, the, the French ambassador. I didn't call him the bastard, but. Yes, the, if he starts struggling, we'll call him that. Though. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Fournier and obviously Kemba Walker spoke out. Kemba Walker's very excited. So when we come back, we'll have a couple of things on the press conference, what they said at the press conference, and how they fit moving forward Tom Thibodeau and the New York Knicks and some of the young players and the young team the Knicks have when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host and board op, Speedy DJ Pete. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com or download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. It has been pouring all day. Hopefully, this weather and this Henry of a hurricane gets the hell out of here because I can't stand this weather. You can lose electric, uh, the trees falling, you have the ambulance, you have the firefighters. Uh, this is crazy. Just as crazy as our show. Anyways, <laughs> I want to get into some basketball. And before we get into this whole Ben Simmons situation, the New York Knicks introduced Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. They had their press conference this week. Fournier comes back with the French team playing very, very well. He was one of the hottest players in the Olympics. I think he averaged almost 19 points a game. Why don't we get to that news conference, Speedy Pete? Well, first of all, the Garden is my favorite arena. Uh, I've been saying that for years. I don't, ju- you know, just say that because I'm a Nick now, but I've always enjoyed the, the atmosphere. You know, there's, there's just a different feeling and a different energy. So being able to play 41 games here and, you know, uh, having the fans with us, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I can't wait. I'm extremely excited. I'm extremely excited. Is there added pressure for you? Added pressure? Um, not really. I mean... It does feel different, though. Like, this feeling has been like no other. Like, I'm just randomly getting goosebumps. Like, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling to, to be able to come home. As far as added pressure, I don't think so. You know, I'm, as long as I'm in a good environment around great people, Nah, I'll be fine. You heard a little bit of Evan Fournier and obviously Kemba Walker. You heard what Kemba Walker said. What kind of pressure will you have coming home to New York? Him and Evan, how they've played together. They played with each other on Boston and how he loved to play with Fournier and that they're bringing a completely different dynamic type of game to the New York Knicks and how they're going to be leaders. They're not selfish players with him and Fournier and R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, comeback player of the year. A lot of people believe that this team is going to be even more dynamic this year, bringing back Derrick Rose. They spent a lot of money this offseason. Now they spent almost all their money. Now is this team ready to win? The answer is no. Do I think they're better than they were last year? Absolutely. And if Kemba Walker is anywhere close to the player that he was with Charlotte, you're talking about the Knicks getting a steal of a player because that's that other superstar that they're looking for. You add him with Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett takes two steps forward, and maybe Julius Randle actually could play in front of a crowd and not complain when the going gets tough in the playoffs. I think this team could be an Eastern Conference championship team. I don't think they're ready to knock off the Brooklyn Nets or they're ready to compete with the Lakers or some of the dynamic teams 
in the Western Conference, but you're talking about one of the best teams and one of the most talented, dynamic defensive teams in the NBA, Speedy. Eastern Conference has a lot of good teams that are also have a lot of injury-prone players on their team, so that could maybe come into advantage for the Knicks if they are facing a... They have a very good depthful team. Now, yeah, a, a Sixers team that has a bunch of injury-prone players, a Nets team that has a bunch of injury-prone players, so if they're the healthier team, who knows? That could end up happening. It worked in beneficiary for Atlanta and Milwaukee, and again, if they have to deal with those same on injury problems, Milwaukee overcame it this year, obviously, to win a title, playing a lot of games without Giannis and a couple of the other players, and maybe the Knicks have that same kind of firepower, where the Knicks have two guys in Derrick Rose and Kemba Walker that now are going to be a great backcourt combo when healthy, not just one guy having to do everything, and that could end up benefiting in terms of managing them both, making sure they can stay healthy, because obviously Rose has had huge injury issues in his career already, and Kemba Walker's had a couple recently where that could be a little concerning for the Knicks, but they have a lot more depth in order to compensate for that. Fournier is a guy that's going to definitely help them offensively, a mid-range shooter, three-point shooter. Pretty good defensive player, too. Pretty good defender, yeah. So adding him to the mix, you take a little pressure off of them offensively. Julius Randle, I don't expect him to duplicate the year he had last year, but he should still be very good. He'll give you 14, 15 points. He should still be very good, where he's going to definitely be a factor. RJ Barrett's going to be a factor. He adds size to the Knicks. And remember, the Knicks last year, they had a very good draft. They brought in Obi Toppin, and quickly, this is their second year. I think Obi Toppin's going to be used a lot more this year. Quickly is going to be fun to watch. He's a great shooter. And then they bring in McBride, who's looked very good in the summer league. And Grimes has looked, as the summer league has progressed, he's looked really, really good. The last game, I think he had 26 points. Yeah, Yeah. so both of them have looked really, really good. And you heard Kemba Walker. He says he's been watching a lot of some of these young players that the Knicks have in the summer league. He says he's been very impressed. And he's very excited what some of these young players could be. So the Knicks are a young and -and up-and-coming team. R.J. Barrett could turn into a star. And quickly, and Obi Toppin, this is going to be a fun young team to watch this year. And if Julius Randle can duplicate what he did last year, and then you get Derrick Rose off the bench that's going to add 14, 15 points. You have Kemba Walker, gives you 24, 23 points a game, and all the other players. This team could be as good as any team in the Eastern Conference, because this is not a strong Eastern Conference. The Brooklyn Nets are the best team. Even with the Milwaukee Bucks winning the championship this year, they're going to take two steps back, I believe, this year. The way the Greek Freak played, and Giannis played throughout the playoffs, he really showed why he's one of the best players in the league, and why he got all the money he got in the offseason. But I think the Knicks have a very good chance with the depth that they added. This is one of the most talented, depthful teams in the Eastern Conference now. This is a very good bench. Now with some offensive firepower, too, it should make them a little more well-rounded than they were, too, because the Knicks were a great defensive team, top five in a lot of categories, number one in a, in a few for sure, and a lot of the defensive metrics, analytics categories, too. Whereas offensively, they were efficient. They were taking smart shots. They had good ball movement, but they just weren't scoring a lot. They didn't have the same scoring prowess. They were 24th offensive-ranked team in terms of points, in terms of a lot of different categories. But now, those guys adding the extra prowess to that with Fournier, with Kemba Walker, who's a very good attacking point guard, great passer, and now the development of those other guys, too. Obi Toppin, in college, was a very good offensive big man. Could pass, had a great vision on the court. Played so well not, in not, summer league. Not you hear what the Knicks are trying to do? The Knicks might play small on the second-team offense, okay, and they might move him to center, the way he's been playing yeah. right now in summer league. He's mm-hmm. played center, and he's so athletic, even though he's 6'8", 
We've seen Draymond Green been successful at that position because of his defensive prowess. Maybe with Obi Toppin's offensive prowess, they can play small on the second team right. offense for the New York Knicks. Yeah, and even if he's not a three-point shooter, he's a good mid-range shooter, he's a good free-throw shooter, that I think will definitely take that step up this second year for sure. Especially if, again, the, these other rookies develop around him too. you got Grimes on the second unit, if you got McBride maybe as that shooter. That's more offensive prowess to help out Toppin Wiggly. too. They can rotate in a lot of different ways to have those kinds of matchups where they can definitely make more offense created throughout the second unit as well, led by a veteran point guard too, which will take pressure off of the young players to really have to do everything on that team. When you look at the Knicks and the weakness over the last couple of years, Speedy, and that was the point guard position. Now Uh you have Derrick Rose as your backup point guard coming off with the second team offense, and then you have obviously Kemba Walker, who is, to me, three years ago was a top five, top six point guard in the league after his knee injury, but he played well last year, averaged 19 points a game. The Knicks got him for nothing after he got bought out by OKC. In the news conference, at the press conference, he said there was nobody else that he wanted to go to. He wanted to go back home. He wanted to be a Nick. He wants to be closer to his family. So he wants to be here. So he wants to win. If Kemba Walker is going to give you 23, 24 points a game, this team could be completely different. Yeah, they could be a championship competitive team if Kemba Walker and Fournier gives them the offense that they need, which they were missing in the playoffs last year. And again, because they have their roles now, they have a little bit of every type of concept now, where even if they're not the top-notch offense, they are still going to be an offense that can compete in the playoffs where they had a lot of woes where they weren't scoring enough. They now have a competent enough offense where they have a little more aspects to their game. They don't just have one identity where they can shoot efficiently at times inside or one game they'll shoot well from three but not do well inside or vice versa or free throws, whatever it is. They now have a little bit of everything with these different types of players they brought in. The Knicks had a good plan of bringing in veteran point guards, great passers and attacking to the hoop, stuff like that, and brought in wing players with different skills, different varieties of types of wing players too. McBride is a good defender with length. Fournier is a good shooter in a lot of different areas on the court. Grimes could shoot deep threes. So you have a little bit of everything with that. Obviously, Randall could shoot a lot of different spots. Barrett progressed in him shooting threes as well from his first year. He's got, to, he's got to do a little better with the free throws still, but he, he went up from 67 to, I think, 73 or something, which is still a good sign, and I think that'll definitely help in terms of his growth, too. So they're getting a little bit of the concepts, in, even if they don't have the RJ Barrett's going to be a star overall firepower. If, yeah. if RJ takes another step forward this year and averages 20, 21 points a game, you have RJ Barrett, you have Julius Randle, you have Kemba Walker, you have your three right there. Three guys that are going to give you close to 60 points a game or a little bit more than that, and then you get Fournier giving you 14. Derek Eric Rose giving you 13, 14 points. All these players that can put points in buckets and quickly giving you 10, 12 points a game. This team has a lot of depth. Look at what the Suns did this year with uh, obviously a superstar in Chris Paul all the way to the Western Conference Championship, then went to the NBA Championship. Yes, they came short. They fell short. But the depth is what really brought them where they wanted to go. Utah, a lot of depth. Portland over the years, a lot of depth. You need depth if you want to win. And that's why the Lakers made the trades and made the moves they did in the offseason. Depth is what's going to help you win. So very interesting what the New York Knicks have done in the offseason. Tom Thibodeau is very happy. You should, as a Knicks fan, be very excited for this team and the upcoming season. I'm very excited about what the Knicks could be this year. Brooklyn didn't really do anything. Kevin Durant got a big contract, an extension of four-year deal worth almost about $200 million. We knew that the Nets were going to do that. they got to figure out what they're going to do with James Harden. they got to give him a contract. You have your Fab Three, your top trio with what they have uh, with the Kyrie Irvins of the world, the Kevin Durants, and then 
and obviously the Hardens. But what are they going to do on the bench? That's going to be a huge weakness. And when you talk about depth in the playoffs, you saw what happened to them when they didn't have depth. And you can't rely on the superstar players all the time. Kevin Durant, James Harden can't stay healthy. Kyrie Irving can't stay healthy. That's why youth is so very important. And that's why the Knicks are one of the youngest teams in basketball. I think the Nets need to do the same. They drafted. They had a lot of picks. They did pretty well in the drafts. We'll see what their picks are. As far as Ben Simmons, besides getting his body caught up with the Jenners or the Kardashians, oh, he's yeah. no longer with them. So maybe you would think that would help him. But it hasn't. He got a big contract. And 76ers are pawning him off. But obviously not wanting to trade him. Because the Golden State Warriors have offered him some significant picks and, and players. We've heard the Spurs. We've heard Sacramento. Toronto. I think all the NBA teams have offered him something. They just think that they can get an onslaught of draft picks for Ben Simmons. Who can't hit a three-point shot. Who has only hit like three three-point shots since he's come into the league in four years. And of course one of them was against the Knicks. <laughs> and can't hit a free throw if you paid him. I think out of 100 free throws, he probably hit 10. I mean, he's horrible. You made so, Shaq look good. <laughs> I mean, he's horrible. This is a talented player that if he learns how to shoot a free throw and has somewhat of a perimeter game, this guy could be one of the elite players in a league. I think he needs to go to a team that's going to help him do that, where they don't have to rely on him to make that three-point shot, a.k.a. the Golden State Warriors. You wonder at this point, too, if the Sixers are just better off waiting and trying to see if he can grow his game a little bit in the season. He doesn't train. He doesn't work hard. I know that, and, and that was a big problem for him coming in of the draft, he was just relying on his, I guess, God-given talent. His talent. Yeah. And, and, his it ha- and it hasn't worked for him in developing. He was obviously greatest rookie year. He won Rookie of the Year, but hasn't grown much since then. So talented. And too. that's a big problem when it comes to judging the upside. Because when you look at young players, trying to trade for young players, you're trading these picks in order to also get young players in order to get upside, too. Because you can get upside with those first-round picks. You can get upside with these other young players that a lot of these teams have been trying to trade. Golden State, the main guy in their deal was James Wiseman. It was a number two pick. And mm-hmm. I think all-around talent wise was more skilled coming out of his draft than Ben Simmons was out of his and that's who the Sixers are asking for I mean Ben Simmons is going to have to grow his game in order to do that we've heard we've seen the Spurs we've seen the Kings all these different teams trying to trade backcourt players to give the Sixers more shooting to go along with Joel Embiid inside and if Ben Simmons doesn't give that kind of same kind of thing back it's not going to be very good so maybe the Sixers at this point if they want to get that offer might want to go into the season see if his game grows a little bit you're right I don't trust it too either with his work ethic but they might for five years. They might not have a choice. You think it's going to change? Yeah. If they want to go somewhere else. If they want a big offer, they might not have to try something at this rate to at least see, all right, maybe there's a little progress. Maybe this is the time to trade him. And then maybe trade him at a little bit of a higher. And then maybe you can see one of these teams jump in. I think if he goes to a good coach, there's a couple of good coaches that can absolutely help him grow his game. He's still very young. 23, 24. He's got a lot of basketball left. He could still find his game. When he came into the league, I compared his skills to LeBron James. He was really everything. LeBron James could do pass. LeBron was not a good shooter when he came into the league. LeBron worked on his shot. He wasn't a good free throw shooter. He worked on his free throws. He worked on his game to become the player that he is. He doesn't work, and we've seen it. Ben Simmons is a great player. He just doesn't put the time in. If you want to be a top-end player, you want to be a player to be reckoned with, and he is that type of player. He's been in an All-Star game how many years? Three out of the four or five years he's been in the league? He's talented, but talent could only get you so far, and Ben Simmons needs to figure that out. 
out. If he doesn't figure that out, he's going to be another bust in this league. And everybody says, well, he's been an all-star for three years. That's a bust for a talented player of that magnitude who everybody was saying was the next LeBron James coming out of the draft. A number one overall pick should not be one-dimensional. Yeah, well, but we've seen a lot of those. Uh, well, yeah, of course, but still, you're, if you want a number one pick, you want a guy that is expected to do as many things as possible, and Ben Simmons really does two things. He can pass well, and he can defend well, and that's it. When we come back, some hockey conversation. The New York Islanders. Lula Morello slowly but surely has had a very good offseason. There is no stories yet that they have signed Casey Sezikis, even though a lot of people have said they already have pretty much dotted that on the line. There's no stories coming out that they have signed Zach Parisi or Paul Mary, but for some reason they haven't signed anywhere else. What is up Lou Lamorello's sleeve when it comes to that and the end of a great career in Henrik Lundqvist? Yep. We will get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Dan Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Every time I come into the studio here, I'm, I'm sweating. And you can't open up the windows because it's pouring outside right now. My air conditioning is blasting, but we can't have an air conditioning in the studio because it's soundproof. And we don't want these compressing mics to capture the sound. So I sweat during the show. And everywhere I've gone, I've been in CBS, I've been in NBC. And when I've been on all these different shows in Sirius Radio, in the Sirius Radio studios over there in New York City, they're all hot. I could have central air in here, but you're still going to catch the sound. There's still sound. So it sucks. It really does. Anyways, I want to get into some hockey. This guy deserves a lot when it comes to New York hockey, New York sports. He's been the face of New York hockey. And uh, when you talk about goaltending, and you talk about when you want to compare him to a, probably a top 10, top 15 goaltender of all time. Henrik Lundqvist is definitely in the conversation. And I am not a Ranger fan. And everybody would know that on this show. I'm an Islander fan. I grew up a Ranger fan. And I've seen some great goaltending from the New York Rangers. I saw John Van Beesbrook, my favorite player of all time. Mike Richter, John Davidson. There were so many great goaltenders in the past. And in the last 20 years... The best goaltender in the NHL has been not even close. It's been Henrik Lundqvist. And Henrik Lundqvist, who is very into painting and artwork and hats. many Music, many, too. Music, too. Loved New York. Loved to be the face of New York sports. And he was for really seven, eight years when Derek Jeter retired. He was the face of New York sports. He was the best player in New York sports. Besides the young players, the Aaron Judges of the world. He was the face. And what he did for New York hockey in the early 2000s and the mid-2000s is just utter and remarkable. He is a special, special player. Very smart, talented, good Samaritan for NHL. Never got in trouble on and off the ice. Always been a face of just pleasure. I met Henrik Lundqvist three or four times. Very nice guy. Bigger than he even looked in net. He's mm -hmm. very tall guy. Just a really down-to-earth person. And even the Islander fans, even when he went to the Nassau Coliseum or he went to the Barclays Center, after the games, when he was coming out and the Islander fans were waiting for him, he would sign autographs, take pictures with Islander fans. Uh, he was just such a good person. And, and to me, that's what sports is lacking. 
players of that magnitude that it doesn't matter who he plays for or what team he plays for. He's a spokesman. He's the face and what you want your athlete to be. So, Speedy, you're a Ranger fan. What do you have to say about the great Henrik Lundqvist? There is a saying the Rangers fans have used for their different players over the years, but Henrik Lundqvist really defines it all. Once a Ranger, always a Ranger. When you look at the last 20 years, all the different players that the Rangers have brought in, all the stretches of dysfunction that the Rangers have had in their front office, all these roster moves around, Henrik Lundqvist has been the one constant. A tremendous goaltender. Not the big, big goalies that we see now uh, that are, have all these huge pads that are have a six foot four and whatever. Henrik Lundqvist was uh, a guy that really could do everything. He was clutch. He was great in game sevens for the Rangers. He was saving 38, 39 shots when the defenses were always bad or the offenses had nothing going for them. He would bail them out a lot of the times. And like you said, off the ice, he was a great guy with the fans, very creative guy with his music. I think he performed a couple times, acoustic guitar or something like that. Mm-hmm. He performed a couple times. So he really stood out in New York, both on and off the ice. He really was an icon, really was a big influence in Swedish hockey, really growing the game. A lot of Swedish players now in the league now, and a lot of them are influenced by somebody like Henrik Lundqvist, and really just was an icon in New York. Whenever you were, went to Madison Square Garden, you were always looking for that number 30 in net. And now it's just so weird that he's uh, he's coming to this point where he had to retire, unfortunately. And never played another game with another team. He was with the Capitals yeah. last year, didn't play one game because he got hurt, had a significant injury, yeah, he and then that. he retired. He really only played for the Rangers. Yeah, so. he, had, he had that heart problem, too, which did, did not help, and, uh, and unfortunately he, he had the surgery. You could, you, yeah, you could tell that his heart was always in the game of hockey. He didn't want to retire, but again, unfortunately, the circumstances did not do well in that sense with the heart condition. And we've Eight, seen it. 887 games played, 310 losses, 459 wins, 96 ties, 2.43 goals against average, save percentage, .918. One of the greatest goaltenders to ever play the game. Special. Yeah. Really special. And in a Rangers history that is very rich with goalies, like you mentioned. Henrik Seventh Lundquist. round pick, too. Henrik Lundqvist stands out in, in that sense with the consistency he had throughout his career. All those Best all Ranger those goalie ever. Yes. I mean, when it comes to numbers, it's not mm-hmm. even close. Right. And I'm a John Van Biesburg fan. It's not even close. 459 wins. Goals against average 2.43 to save percentage. It's special. It's just absolutely special. Yep. And as far as the playoffs are concerned, he was fantastic. He was fantastic. Yeah, I think absolutely. In, in game sevens, he was 6-2 and two in his career with like a 1.83 GAA or something like that. And unfortunately, he couldn't get in the cup. But the Rangers had other problems why that didn't happen between their offense never being good at times and it was their defense that was bad at times. And Henrik Lundqvist was bailing them out all the times. The Rangers went through a lot of different roster turnover throughout the time. And Henrik Lundqvist was the one constant throughout all that, all the coaches, all the big names that came in that didn't work out as well for the Rangers and he had the one run to the cup in 2014 where they lost to the Kings but he still was not the reason they lost those games he was clutch he was a great teammate and a great guy like I said with the fans on and off the ice and again once a Ranger always a Ranger for number 30 Henrik Lundqvist whose number will be retired this year absolutely deserves all the credit I know you're a Ranger fan so I gave you time to speak your piece on who he is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer when he becomes available five years from now deserves all the credit in the world it's sad because he had that heart problem. He had to have that quick surgery, right. and I don't think he was ever going to play again. A lot of people said that. And he's had that heart problem for years, and it, nobody found that. So, thank God he's alive, and he's ticking. He's a great Samaritan for New York sports. I think eventually he'll be a coach, or he'll be a GM of an organization. He loves the game of hockey. Absolutely. So, and he's very smart, so I, I think he'll get an opportunity one way or another to either run an organization or be a part of an organization. So, congratulations to the Lundquist family and Henrik Lundquist on a great mm-hmm. career and just a great 
face of New York sports, icon. really. And he is an icon, absolutely. As far as the Islanders are concerned, Lou Lamorello slowly and quietly has had a very good offseason. Getting Pellick to sign an eight-year deal, one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL, to a $5.5 million contract, to get a player of that magnitude to sign a $5.5 million. You're talking about defensemen making $10 million a year. I mean, you just saw the Devils sign, what's his name Dougie again? Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton to $10 million a year. He's just as good as Dougie Hamilton, maybe even better. And he got $5 million less on a great player's contract. There were stories coming out that Zach Parisi and Paul Mary were in the bag. Sezekis was in a bag. They're still not signed, but they haven't signed with anybody else. What does that tell you? It tells you that Lou Lamorello is waiting for something to become open before he makes and signs those guys to figure out the numbers and how they fit. I still think... The Islanders will go after Tarasenko. I think that's what they're gunning for, and that's what they're trying to make a move for. They're just trying to figure out numbers. And once they do that, when you could bring in a Zach Parisi, bring back Paul Mary. You got Paul Mary going to the second line with J.P. Parjot. You bring in Zach Parisi for the third line, and then Tarasenko for your first line. You really solidify all three of your lines, and Anders Lee is coming back. So you have one of the best defensive teams. You have one of the best defensive coaches, and then you have the offensive firepower that they were lacking in the playoffs. That practically cost them game number seven in the Eastern Conference Championship. Yeah, you wonder what the Islanders are maybe waiting on. If it is Tarasenko. I think it is Tarasenko. It is Tarasenko. I think in terms of like the big picture, like I think that's their main goal. But if they don't get Tarasenko, there are some other options that have become available. I've heard uh, Johnny Goudreau. I've heard Brock Besser from the Vancouver Canucks is another option. Philip Forsberg from Nashville is another one who could play both center and wing, which would be good as well. So if they don't get Tarasenko, there are even some other options they can they can go after. And you wonder what those kinds of offers are, are coming for. I know Tarasenko said the Islanders are his number one choice among the teams he wanted to be traded for. So there's definitely more incentive both for New Lou, York teams. Right. For mm-hmm. there's definitely more incentive for Lou Lamorello to get that done. But again, if the Blues are trying to get a lot for him, it might be hard because again, Lou Lamorello, while he does have the riches of the prospects that he does have, he's gonna be tough on them too. And they're gonna make it's it crazy. He's not gonna just uh, give them all just of think, his prospects away for one player. Just so. think and Garchno did very well on drafting prospects and defensive players because yep. if you look at Lou Lamorello, he really hasn't had much of a draft. His first year, which I went to, was a great draft. He added Oliver Wallstrom and Dobson. Ever since then, I don't think he's had a first-round draft pick. This is going on his fourth year with the Islanders. He's won two GMs of the year, and he's made some quality trades at the trade deadline. He hasn't had a first-round draft pick in two years. He gave up his first round last year for J.P. Pajot and his second-round pick. And then this year, he gave up his first for Paul Mary. So to me, you look at Lou Lamorello. It wasn't him that built this strong farm system with a bag of riches. And I'm telling you right now, I'll say it again. It's very hard to find elite defensemen. And the Islanders have some good defensemen in their farm system, really good ones. And they can use it as trade bait or move them. I don't think they're going to have to give up any of those to get Tarasenko. I really don't. Tarasenko is getting a lot of money this this season, almost $9.5 million. The next two seasons after that, five and a half. But Tarasenko hasn't had a good season in almost two years because of injury. So the Islanders could get him on a cheap. I don't think they're going to have to give up much to get him. I think maybe a second round and a couple of prospects, but not top prospects. Right to get him, I think that will settle. I think they're trying to figure out how the numbers are going to fit. Right. And the Blues probably are pushing for a little more, being how Tarasenko's past was, being a very consistent offensive player throughout his career. But the last two years are definitely dwindling that offer down where it's not going to be what they're expecting. So maybe they're hoping another team could bite. Maybe a surprise team could bite in that. But again, Tarasenko limiting those number of teams doesn't help the Blues end of the trade either because now the options are limited as it is, which it was already because not every team has the salary cap situation. 
either, or the desire to say, all right, we're going to push for the one player that we think can get him over the top. The Islanders are that obvious situation where of those teams that are consistently in the second and conference championship rounds of the playoffs, they're the ones that obviously need the offense in comparison to Vegas and Colorado and obviously Tampa won back-to-back cups. They don't need the offense as much. The Islanders are definitely the team with the obvious situation for that. They did sign Bolivier, two-year extension, which was an affordable contract for a kid that has played very well in the playoffs. He's been one of their best playoff players in the last two seasons. And the Islanders' back-to-back years in the Eastern Conference Championship, Lou Lamorello smells blood. Remember, he's eight 80 years old. He wants to win a championship before he retires. He has built this team fabulously with Barry Trotz. This team is one of the top four teams in the NHL. They're bringing back practically their whole team. They didn't lose anything in the offseason. None. And they're bringing players to this team. If you can add a Zach Parisi and a Tarasenko to this team with the players that they have already, they really position themselves very, very well. They have one of the most talented teams when it comes to center depth. Who's got better center depth than the Islanders right now? And they have the young Barzell, the Pajos of the world, who wasn't healthy in the playoffs, didn't play healthy in the playoffs, who was fantastic the year before that in the playoffs. So they've got a lot. And the Islanders are, if they make those moves for Tarasenko and bring back Palmieri and Zach Parisi, you're talking about the Islanders being a heavy favorite to oh, come yeah, out of the Eastern sure. Conference. Heavy favorite. When have we heard that the Islanders were a heavy favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference? <laughs> Not in my lifetime. Yeah, so it's crazy. And Lou Lamorello has done such a great job with this organization and how this team is built with the new stadium going to be open for the first year, for the, the inaugural season. It's a great opportunity to see this team actually go to a Stanley Cup. And, and, and remember, two back-to-back Eastern Conference teams against Tampa. They went to Game 6 the year before and then a Game 7. And they lost one to nothing on a shorthanded goal with too many men on the ice. So the Islanders are on a cusp of doing something very special. And they would have won the Stanley Cup this year. Absolutely yeah. against the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. And Ranger fans need to hold back and stop attacking this team. you got to give them credit. you got to give Lou and Barry Trotz a lot of credit because this team has been just special in every kind of way. And this is Garth Snow's team. You say whatever you want. All those players, besides maybe one or two players, have been Garth Snow guys. So... Garth Snow, he's not very good at free agency. We all know that. Andrew Ladd, gone, and some of the players. But his draft stock and what he has drafted over the years, special. Really, really special. And remember, Oliver Walsh, they still own the rights to Kiefer Bellows because obviously they lost Eberle. So they kept Kiefer Bellows. So that's a trade piece where you could trade him for Tarasenko. I think that would be the only piece they need to trade to get Tarasenko. And he's a good young player, and they don't need him. So uh, I think the Islanders are positioned very, very well to get where they want to go and get the players that they need to come in to help them win a Stanley Cup. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? The Big Wars. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Mark. My co-host, Mr. Eyeballs, Mr. Dragon himself, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. Well, here's what you could do. You can go to our website and find it www.worldwidesportsradio.com or you can go to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. By the way, did I tell you that I was DJing uh, Mary's party last yes, week? Mary did. J. Blige mm-hmm. met a lot of interesting people at a party in Southampton over the weekend. Uh, fun. It was really, really good. I met a lot of generous people. 
to say the least. So thank you to Mary, and thank you to a, a great, great party that I was DJing at. So are you ready, Speedy? Yes, it is time for Debate Wars. <laughs> this is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? All right, we're going to start this week in the NFL. Better running back, Tony Dorsett or Edgar and James? Go ahead, Speedy. I'm going to take Edgar and James in this one. Their numbers are very similar, both with rushing yards and receiving yards, but I think James was a little more consistent in terms of the end of his career, too, even with the Arizona Cardinals later in his career with the Colts. And I also think having, I think, 3,500 receiving yards with Peyton Manning, who's throwing a ball to Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison and Dallas Clark and all the weapons he had, too, makes it even more impressive for him. Dorsett obviously played on some very good Cowboys teams, too. Won a Super Bowl, I think, his second year in the league. But I'm going to take Edgar and James. Very close. Well, Tony Dorsett was a very good running back, very talented, also played for a very good Cowboy team. That At the time, there was no salary cap, so he played with all those great offensive linemen and all those great teams. I'm going to give it to Edron James because in his first five years, he was one of the most dominant running backs in the league. He helped out Peyton Manning, helped develop Peyton Manning, and he was just an explosive player, really on the inside and the outside, power back, smash mouth football, which I love. So I'm going to go with Edron James. All right, let's go to baseball. Who is a better pitcher, Sid Fernandez or Dave Stewart? I'm going to take Stewart in this one because of his postseason success. He had, uh, he, I think he won three World Series in his career, pitched very well in all but one of them. And he had a couple bad years towards the end of his career, but I think he had more better peak years, under three ERAs a lot of the time. I know Sid Fernandez, 86 Mets, he had a great game in that World Series. But I think as a whole, Stewart in his postseason career was very good. More strikeouts, I think a better whip. Even though I think Fernandez had a better ERA, I think Stewart had a slightly better whip or some of the analytic numbers too. So I'm going to take Stewart. I'm going to go with Sid Fernandez. Now, both players, they weren't, superstar players. They were good players. I mean, Sid Fernandez, 114 and 96. It's not numbers that pop out at you. ERA, 3.36. But Sid Fernandez, when it came down to big games and big parts in a season to get them into the playoffs and get them where they needed to go, Sid Fernandez actually showed up. So I'm going to go with Sid. All right, let's go. Basketball. Better European big man. Is it Gundros Ilgoskis or Vladi Divac? I'm going to take Ilgoskis in this one because Divac, I think, in the beginning of his career, played for a lot of very good Lakers teams. And Ilgoskis, I think, was a little better all around when it came to his offensive game, better free throw shooter, uh, better offensive prowess uh, throughout his career. And I know he played on uh, with LeBron James later in his career, which helped out. But remember, we say it all the time. How bad were those, outside of LeBron James, how bad were those teams? He was the second best player a lot of times with those teams. I'm going to take Ilgoskis. First of all, it's Divac. And you never got a chance to watch him. He's right now, I think he's the GM right now of Sacramento. Yes, and everyone hates him. Or the president or whatever the <laughs> yeah. heck he was over there. But he was a great player. And he was traded for Kobe Bryant, if you don't know that. When Kobe was drafted, uh, Kobe was drafted by the Hornets. And then the right. Hornets traded with the Lakers for Lottie Divac and somebody else for Kobe Bryant. And boy, was that one of the worst trades in NBA history. But Lottie was a very good player. He had a very good career as an NBA player. One of the more underrated defensive, offensive big men in the league. Fun player to watch. We saw him have so many back and forth banter conversations on the court. And I'm not going to say it, but with Shaquille O'Neal, they hated each other when they played. uh, Especially when he played for Sacramento. So I'm going to go with Divac. All right, let's go to NHL. Better coach that coached at one point for the Capitals. Brian Murray or Ron Wilson? 
So I'm going to take Wilson in this one. He's had led the By Capitals the way, in the Ron 90s. By the way, Ron Wilson scouted me when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Wilson with the Capitals, I think he was a better overall record win percentage or point percentage in the regular season and led the in the 90s. That Capitals team in the Stanley Cup has really had no business in that in that era of hockey. Lost to the Red Wings, who were obviously the best team in the league at that time. But definitely did a lot throughout his career. I know Murray had a nice run with the Senators, too, and in their cup run with in 07 when they lost to Anaheim. But I'm going to give the edge to Wilson. I'm going to go with Ronnie. He scouted me when I was 15, 16 years old, scouting camps. He was very high on me, thought I was going to be a top end of the first round type of draft pick for the United States. He was the United States head coach in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. I'm going to go with Ron. Ron had a very successful career, very nice guy, and had a... A little rough side to him, too. I, uh-huh. I really liked him. That's yeah, cool. Really. I was even just researching the debates. I never knew there was a personal connection to all of them. That's yes. actually very cool. Yep. All right, let's go to back to football. Better linebacker. Kind of old school with this one. Jack Lambert or Mike Singletary? Mm. I'm going to take Lambert. It's very close in terms of their overall skills. Both are very good tacklers. Both played on some very, very good team defenses. Two of the best team defenses. Both of them are Hall of Famers. Both of them are easily Hall of Famers. But the one thing with the interceptions, in a time where there weren't a lot of good coverage linebackers, I think Lambert had 20 or something interceptions in his career, which I I think it's very impressive. I know, obviously, you have the talent around him, too, in that secondary, too. But at that time, that was very hard to do. You didn't have a lot of good coverage. So I'm going to go with Lambert. I'm going to go with Mike Singletary. And even those Bears teams, the 85 Bears, was one of the most dominant defensive teams we've ever seen. Okay? And he was a big part of that defense. Actually, he was that defense. I'm going to go with Mike. He was rough. He was mean. Singletary, definitely. Absolutely. All right. Let's go back to baseball. Who was a better second baseman? Robinson Cano, obviously, he's still technically playing, but not really playing. Or Jeff Kent. And by the way, the Mets still on the right side. I know. I'm going to take Kent. I, I think Cano could have had that pace if he didn't have all the steroid issues later in his career and had some trouble once he got to Seattle. He had a couple good years with Seattle, but I think Kent's longevity later on with the not Mets. Even close. Kent with the Mets, I think later on with the Astros too, with the Dodgers, a lot of different teams. I'm going to take Kent. It's not even close, and he's one of the most hated players in Major League history. He has Barry Bonds, okay? It's Jeff Kent, and I'm going to go with Jeff Kent. Sensational career. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely terrible what the MLB has done to this guy. You're talking about one of the best power-hitted second basemen, one of the best defensive second basemen we've ever seen. Fun player to watch, just it wasn't anybody's favorite in the locker room, but I'm going to go with Jeff Kent. All right, let's go back to the NBA. Better point guard, Scott Skiles or Ron Harper? Oh, come on. I'm going to take Harper in it's this one. Hard. It's definitely I, I think with his defensive prowess, I know Skiles was a better Terrible shooter. coach to his Skiles. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that didn't help either. I know he was he was part of that Orlando team. I think a little better offensive numbers, but Harper's defensive prowess, his leadership with the... He won the championship. He won the championships. Yeah. And even with the Lakers, he was part of one of the championship teams too. So I'm going to give it to Harper. First of all, Ron Harper was an elite defensive player. Go ask Michael Jordan. Go ask Scottie Pippen. With those great Bulls teams in the late 90s, one of the best or, or the anchor of that defense. And Michael Jordan is one of the greatest defensive players we've ever seen. It's Ron Harper. Fantastic to watch. He had a lot of clutch shots when he needed to hit three-point shots with the Chicago Bulls. He also played, I think he played for the Clippers, too. Played all, all different teams. I oh, forget. maybe at the beginning of his career, yeah. yeah. He might have been with like the Clippers uh, right after they moved from San Diego. But uh, he, he was fun to watch. I'm going to go with Ron Harper. All right, let's go back to hockey. Who is a better center? Both of them are still playing, but who has been a better center so far in their career? Eric Stahl or Ryan Getzloff? So I'm going to take a slight edge to Getzloff because I think he's had a little bit of better longevity. I know Stahl had some a couple good years recently with Minnesota, but I think Getzloff's longevity, even with losing a, a little speed, better faceoff guy. I think it was a better defensive center. Their offensive numbers are very similar. Both won Stanley Cups when they were young, but I think Getzloff's longevity and defense give him a slight edge. I'm going to go with Getzloff too. I, I remember the couple of years that he was winning and playing the way he was with the Anaheim uh, Ducks. Getzloff was a fun player to watch, and still he's old, but I think he's done this year. I think he retired this year, right? I don't think he officially retired. 
retired, but he's like he's on that path. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Getzloff is so a Hall too. of Famer. He has the numbers. I'm going to go with Getzloff. All right. Let's go back to football. Better coach to never win a playoff game. Marvin Lewis or Jim Mora? Oh, come on. I'm going to take Marvin That's Lewis definitely in this one. Marvin Lewis. Because he was also a GM, too. The Bengals had no acting GM. Mike Brown really made all the decisions, whether they were good or he bad. He could draft, they're, too. They're mostly bad. Great player development guy. He was great with late-round draft picks. A lot of good defensive teams that he did well. A good offensive scheme, I think, as a whole. Now, Jim Moore did some good things with the Saints when they were really bad before that. But in terms of, I think, growing the team, the longevity he had, I'm going to take Lewis. Oh, it's definitely Lewis. And look at his record as a starting head coach. Now, not obviously in the playoffs because he wasn't a very good playoff coach. But all in all, Andy Dalton was his quarterback, and he won with Andy Dalton. Okay? He never had an elite quarterback. He's never. And you want to say Carlson Palmer, maybe one or two years he was elite. After that, he hurt his knee. He was never the same right. player. Uh-huh. So I, I, I'm going to go with Marvin Lewis. Very good player, development coach. Very good. Knows how to draft. Out of any team in the NFL right now, there are more players still in the NFL from the Bengals draft than any other team in the NFL. And that's saying a lot when you have Bill Belichick and all those guys that know how to draft. So I'm going to go with Marvin Lewis. All right, one more. Better manager, Tony La Russa, still going right now. So, so far, technically, Tony La Russa or Joe Torre. I'm going to take La Russa because I think he did it with a lot of different spots. The Yankees had uh, a lot of those great, talented teams that he built. I'll give Joe Torre some credit for that. Managed those teams. But he, La Russa also did it with Oakland. He did it with the Cardinals. And now even doing it with the White Sox Buck this year. Walter built those teams. Okay, which is fair. But I think he obviously had a part with it, too. But I'm going to take La Russa. I think his influence on the game with the, with the athletics right in the beginning of that. A lot of different identities with that. Uh, so I'm going to go with La Russa. I'm going to go with La Russa because he's a more X's and O's type of manager. I, I think that when you look at Joe Torre, he understood how to be the friend of these players. He was very close with all the players on his roster. That's what made Joe Torre so great. The only person he didn't like was Alex Rodriguez. All in all, I think the X's and O's type of coach and manager, I'm going to go with Tony La because he won in many different places, and even though he's a tough ass and a pain in the butt. So I'm going to go with Tony. So far, hasn't hurt them wins and losses-wise. No, Chicago's going to make the playoffs. White Sox is definitely going to make the playoffs and be very dangerous with the young talent that they have. I only think he's going to manage one year, and I think he's going to retire after this year. I really do believe that. Really? Uh, yes, and in the beginning of the season, people were trying to go for his head, right. uh, just mm-hmm. like uh, Aaron Boone. And look what Tony La Russa has done. They, I think they have the second-best record in the American League. Yeah. And, and, and Aaron Boone has the now. best record since the All-Star break. I don't hear Tyler saying any crap anymore because he's got nothing to say. So there you go. <laughs> and I win again. Anyways, when we come back, the final segment of the show, Speedy Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. What? Jump! Jump! Speedy makes you go jump, jump! The Mac Daddy make you jump, jump! Daddy Mac will make you. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Either way, Speedy, Monday, you're coming with me. We are going to be introducing a great award to the great Doc Gooden at the golf tournament over there in Smithtown. If you guys have not gotten your tickets for a VIP dinner or going to play golf, there's still golf positions available where you and your partner can actually go play golf with some of these police officers and some athletes. So uh-huh. looking forward to introducing Doc Gooden to a great Man of the Year award. So there you go. <laughs> Anyways, Speedy, what do we got? 
Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, this week we're going to start with a little college football. So they came out with a top 25 poll this week. Top four teams are Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Ohio State. Buy or sell, at least two out of those four teams will not be in the college football playoff. I believe so. I'm buying it. Where's Georgia? Is he? Georgia's number five. Uh, Georgia's definitely going to make it. I picked Georgia to win the whole thing this year. But no, I think two teams will fall out. I think Clemson will be one of those teams, even though they have a good young quarterback there who played very well when Lawrence was hurt last year with COVID-19 and all that other stuff. I still believe Clemson is not going to have a great season this year. Either will Alabama. I'm going to buy it too. I think Clemson could fall out because I think they'll lose one weird game. And I think if they're not undefeated, that's going to keep them out of the playoff. I think either one of the big 10 teams will bounce back. Or I could see a team like Oregon in a full Pac-12 season because they got a very good roster this year too. They have a second year of a a very good quarterback with Tyler Shuck and a a very good defense. One of the top five picks of this year's draft. Watch out for Kayvon Thibodeau, a pass rusher. He leads the way on that Any relations to Tommy? No. No, no, no. It's, it's spelled the French way with the E-A-U-X. Kidding. I know. I'm just okay. Yeah, so I'm actually going to agree with you. I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Two out of three out of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones will be their team's week one starters. I'm going to sell that. I, I don't know if Justin Fields is going to start right away because we heard what the coaching staff has said over there with the Bears. They're going to give Andy Dalton the chance. I don't know if Mac Jones is going to start either because Cam Newton's still there, even though he looks like he's winning the job too. And we know Trey Lance is definitely not going to start. They're going to give it to Jimmy G. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too just because I don't really trust with the Patriots, what they're going to do. I think Fields will eventually become it. I think the players love him too much. I think his preseason performance really proved a lot. Trey Lance definitely won't be. And Bill Belichick always does interesting things. I think they'll still try to ease him in. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to sell that too. Buy or sell it. Mets will finish the season below 500. I'm going to sell that. I think the Mets will figure things out. Uh, with Baez coming back, with Lindor coming back, we don't know if Jacob DeGrom's ever going to play again this year. But I think that this roster is still good enough to have a 500 record. They are borderline playoff team. I do believe they're the best team in this division when healthy. So I am going to sell that. They're definitely not going to be under 500. I'm going to sell it too. I still don't trust them necessarily to make the playoffs, but I think they'll finish above 500. I think they're still too talented to finish with less than 81 wins. And they're right now only one game below. I think they'll find at least somewhat of a groove, whether it's one big streak or like one where they play consistently well. Again, I still don't necessarily trust them to make the playoffs, but I think they'll finish above 500. So I will also sell that. All right, buy or sell. The Sixers will only get one first-round pick in a potential Ben Simmons trade. I agree with that. I don't know where they think or how they think they're going to get more than that. Ben Simmons is a great player, but Ben Simmons, as good as he is, he can't figure out how to shoot, and he can't figure out how to shoot a free throw. In the NBA, those are two very important aspects of his game. So... I am going to buy. They're only going to get one. Yep, I agree. This stock is falling for Ben Simmons. I think it's going to be very hard for them to get anything more than one first-round pick at this point. his contract's ridiculous. His contract's ridiculous. They're asking for way too much at this point. I think it's really going to plummet what they're going to end up getting. So I am also going to buy that. All right, buy or sell. If the Islanders do not trade for Vladimir Tarasenko, it will be Johnny Goudreau they trade for instead. That's a possibility. I'm going to buy it. I think they're definitely going to bring in a player that's going to play with Barzell. I don't think Zach Parisi is the guy because he's one stage to retirement and 
Palmieri, since he's come to this team, he's played with Pajot. So I think they're going to need a player that's going to be able to play and give Barzell a sniper. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I could see that being a very likely option because they've uh, the, the Islanders between Garth Snow and Lula Amaro have traded with the Flames a lot. So I actually could see those connections being strong. Goudreau, very fast skater, like just like Barzell. I could see that kind of thing fitting in if they don't end up getting Tarasenko. I still think they'll end up getting Tarasenko, so but I. if they don't, I think that is going to be a good fallback option because Goudreau is very fast as well and very skilled. All right, buy or sell. The Jets will trade for and sign a free agent pass rusher in order to replace the void of Carl Lawson. I think they're going to buy one for free agency. I don't think they trade for one because next year they have all those draft stock and draftees, and they're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. They're not ready to win. I think they're rebuilding. I think next year they're going to be considered a playoff team, especially with the development of Elijah Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Zach Wilson. So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think because the Jets, I don't think you're going to get off to an ultra fast start. I don't think you're going to see that kind of thing where they say, all right, we're a surprise 4-1 team. Let's go get another veteran pass rusher and try to sell off draft picks. I think the only chance of that happening is if they get off to a fast start, but I don't think they do. So I think they'll kind of stay in the middle ground and get better later in the season. Uh, being Carolina, I told you that. I still don't think Buy so. Buy and sell it, baby. <laughs> all right. Buy or sell. The Yankees will stay ahead of the Red Sox for the rest of the season. Oh, I'm buying that. Absolutely. I think the Sox are done. Their pitching has been horrendous since the All-Star break. I don't know what more to say. I am buying that. I'm buying it, too. I've, I've still had a lot of concerns with the Red Sox in terms of a lot of their players getting older now, too. Their lineup depth, even with their young players, have started to struggle as well. Those older players are really the only thing carrying them, and their pitching is awful right now. And I think it's just really a confident shot right now. Whether the Yankees can surpass Oakland and stay ahead of Oakland and, the, and catch up with the Rays, I'm still not sure about. But I think they'll stay ahead of the Red Sox. I will absolutely buy that. All right, buy or sell. Another big man will surpass Joel Embiid's contract within the next two years. Absolutely. The way the NBA is rolling with the new CBA rules and and contracts, TV deals, it's only going to go up. So I am going to buy that. I'm going to sell it. I think this is, like you were saying yesterday, $49 million is a lot for a big man. I can't see another one getting that. I think the Sixers front office is very strange. Carl Anthony Towns? Maybe, but uh, maybe the Joker. But even that, I think the Nuggets front office is too smart. I think they're just a little too smart. The Sixers front office, they do a lot of weird things. Martin will go somewhere else. I think he's another guy like Giannis. I think that's going to be very much like a team Giannis player. got a lot of money. I know, but I, I don't think you heard he'll... he's buying. He's, he's up to yeah, buy Milwaukee. The Brewers. Yep, he's going to be a part owner of that soon. But I, th- I don't think those players are like that. Well, Towns will want out, and he'll get paid where he get where he goes. But I just think the Sixers front office, them being the contract they give, is the kind of the exception of the rule rather than the rule. So I'm actually going to disagree. I'm going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. Jack Eichel, after his weird tweet about the NHL, will not be traded this offseason. I would believe that. Now after opening his big mouth, he should have kept it quiet. Saying things about the NHL, why would a team actually make a move for him where you're going to take on the press and all that other... He's not going to New York now, that's for sure. So I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell it. I still think he'll end up getting traded. I think the Sabres ultimately end up selling short. I definitely don't think he's going to go end up going to the Rangers. No way. Not with the press. I don't think... I don't think lead it, him up. Yeah, I don't think other teams are going to be that afraid of a tweet, though. We see athletes tweet like this all the time, and I, I don't go think... go to a small city. I don't think it's going to shy everybody away. I still think he'll end up getting traded, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Let's go back to college football. So, Georgia, Texas, A&M, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and North Carolina are the rest of the top ten, in addition to the teams we heard before. Somebody outside of that top ten will be a college football playoff team this year. Mm, I'm going to sell that. I don't see it. I know every year TCU is always in the hunt 
And, and they always have very good recruiting classes and stuff like that, especially in the division they are. But I don't see it. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it because I think Clemson isn't going to make it either. I think Alabama and Ohio State will. Only but four teams make it, right? Only four teams make it. I agree with you on Georgia. But I think that other team is going to come from either the Big Ten as a bounce-back type candidate or from the SEC. When are they got, changing that? I think Six it's two years from now. That How many teams? Right now they're looking at 12. Wow, that's good. I, that'll yeah. be fun to watch. Yeah, it will be. I, I'm very excited for that too. But I think if those surprises come, it'll either become from the Pac-12, either the back end of the SEC or the Big Ten, which right now those teams aren't the ones ranked in the top ten, so I actually am going to buy it because I agree with you on Clemson and definitely Oklahoma, your favorite quarterback, not making it to the college football playoff. Absolutely. All right, buy or sell. Jacob DeGrom will not pitch again this season. I'm going to sell because I think if the Mets get into the hunt again, he's going to want to come back and, and try to help them win. So I'm going to sell that. I think you'll see Jacob DeGrom, especially if the Mets are making a run. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think Jacob DeGrom will end up pitching again I think again it's all about if the Mets are in the playoff right and which I think they'll stay pretty close for a while and I also think again there's a lot of conflict between the front office with Luis Rojas what Jacob DeGrom wants whatever if they don't make the playoffs Luis Rojas is gone you think he's gone completely okay absolutely I think he'll get one more year I don't know way not with the talent and the money they spent in the offseason only because of the injuries I think he'll get one more year but again if he doesn't do it again yeah I can definitely see Aaron Boone's had a lot of injuries too Look at what he's No, no, no. I, I'm not saying he's better than Aaron Boone. I'm saying. I didn't say that, but I'm saying that Aaron Boone and all everybody wants the Yankees to get rid of him and look at what the Yankees are doing. So, all right. That's I, an excuse. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, though. I, I'm going to sell it. All right. Buy or sell. There's actually some rumors with Larry Fitzgerald has not reported to training camp yet, potentially retiring, but he's it. still not sure yet. I'm buying Buy or sell. It. He will play at least part of this season. Oh, I'm selling that. He's not. I think he's done. I think he wants to be an analyst, a broadcaster. That's what he went to school for. I think Larry Fitzgerald has a sensational career. We are one of the greatest wide receivers we have ever seen, and probably the second or third greatest hands we've ever seen. Uh-huh. And very nice guy. Larry Fitzgerald, I would love to get him on the show. He's just a, a perfect Samaritan, great Samaritan, great spokesman for the NFL. So I'm going to sell that. He's never going to play. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the writing's on the wall with them going after A.J. Green, them drafting Rondell Moore, running all of these receiving-type running backs, too. You forget that, they have Hopkins still there. And obviously DeAndre Hopkins, who I think is the most skilled wide receiver in football right now. Mm-hmm. And I think... Yeah, the writing's on the wall. I think he'll end up getting some kind of... Fox is going to sign him or something. Yeah, I can see that kind of thing. He's going to stay with the game in some facet. But yeah, I think the writing's on the wall with all the receivers that they got. And he's been hinting at it for a while, so I definitely could see it happening. So I'm also going to sell it. All right, let's go back to the NBA. Buy or sell? Miles McBride will be in the Knicks starting lineup for at least 10 games this season. I'm going to sell that. I think McBride will be a part of the rotation, a 10-player rotation in Tom Thibodeau because he's a defensive-minded guy. And I think he's going to slowly but surely become a very good player. And Nilakina type, but he's a better player, a better overall player than Nilakina. He fell. He, a lot of people thought he was a top 15 pick. He fell to the second round. I think the Knicks got a steal. I think he was the steal of the Knicks draft. So I am going to sell that. I don't think he's going to be in the starting line. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think he'll be more of a 3 and D type. He can emerge as maybe a, a sixth man. Good shooter if, if he shoots well, he'll emerge into a, a six-man type. I, I don't think he'll be a starter because I think Barrett will. Eventually, he will be a starter. I think uh, he's Yeah, good. maybe, yeah. But I, I don't know about 10 games. I don't know about full-time yet, quite yet, because I think other guys will emerge. Yes. Because obviously now bringing Fournier, I think Fournier will start. He's got to beat will start. Grimes will start. Yeah. Grimes was a first-round draft pick. He's got to beat quickly, first-round draft pick. Right. OB top in for playing time. You need to earn that. Yeah, and I, I the most 
injury riddle guys on the team that you could expect with the two point guards. And I don't think he's going to start. They're going to put Quigley in before they put him in in terms of maybe having another guy handle the ball. So I agree with you. I will sell it. All right. Buy or sell. Another Arizona one. So the Coyotes leases up potentially for playing in Arizona. Buy or sell. After this season, they will play somewhere else. I'm going to sell that. They'll stay in Phoenix with some of it. Matthews who wants to go back home. I think that's where he's heading. Austin Matthew wants to play for his home crowd, his family over there. I think that's what's going to save him because there's a lot of people from Arizona. So I'm going to sell that. I am going to buy it. They've been trying to have them move around for a while now. I know Gary Bettman wants to keep them there, but they're, they're not getting fans there. And I think that's going to be very hard for them, especially now with the pandemic year where there are, a lot of teams are losing money anyway. And I think as a result, they will end up having to move eventually. Where are they going to go? I've seen there's other Canadian teams that want a team. I could see Wisconsin getting a team. Do you think they're going to draw crowds in Wisconsin? For hockey? Yeah, I do. They have a very good following with other levels of hockey. College hockey. Yeah, but that's different. But again, no, it's definitely different. But I think in terms of the hockey culture, I still think it's strong. So I think they could definitely work there. Mm. All right, one more. Either the Padres or the Athletics. Two teams we thought were very talented at the start of the year will miss the playoffs completely. I'm going to buy that. I think the Padres are shoo-in. I think the Athletics are going to fall out. I really do. With the Yankees playing the way they are, there are other teams still following and trying to catch up to the Red Sox and the Oakland Athletics. I think one of those teams are only going to make it because I think the Yankees are shooing to be the number one wild card team. So I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell it because I think the Padres will get hot eventually. They just had, had one bad cold streak. I don't think the Reds will stay this hot forever. I know they're creeping up on them now. And I think the Athletics are very complete where I can't see them losing their playoff spot. I think the Yankees will make it too. But I think the Red Sox will be the one left out, not the Athletics. So I am going to sell that. Well, well, well. Crunch time is up. As every single week, it comes and it goes and I win. But happy to be here for all the people dealing with the weather and obviously the hurricane, Hurricane Henry. Take care of yourselves. Make sure that you have water, milk, all that other stuff. If you lose electricity, make sure you get your generators set up and all that other stuff. Make sure that you're not driving on the road. If the winds are at 70 to 50 miles per hour, it's dangerous. Stay safe. Take care of your kids and your family. But great show. We'll be back next week. We are going to definitely get a guest on next week's show. It's been a great week of sports. New York sports unfortunately losing Carl Lawson the Mets not playing well it's not as great as we want it to be and this vaccine thing with Cuomo they got to figure this out this is definitely got to be figured out here in New York New York is the only city that's doing it anyways that's it for our show ladies and gentlemen we'll be back next week until then this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night and we'll talk to you then good night everybody